Welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Pastor Will Harley. I'm joined here with two brothers in the ministry, awesome guys to get to know and to hang around with. We have uh, Pastor Dave Rudot and Pastor Dave Endorf. Guys, why don't you say hi? Hi. Hello. Great to be here. Welcome. As we have a show today, we do want to uh, probably throw up. We're no longer in the pre-show, so we're going to want to want to change that caption out, and we're going to throw up our disclaimer here for you and uh, let every... Whoop. There's the disclaimer. And uh, we disclaim everything that needs to be disclaimed in this podcast in a very blanket fashion. Um, and so there's our, our disclaimer for you. So hopefully uh, um, you will give us some, some leeway and some credence as we're starting these conversations, having a conversation today. Great conversation topic today as we are talking about uh, what is the difference uh, anyway. It's that part of that series that we're kind of pursuing, looking at the differences between what people believe and, and maybe how they, they act out that belief in their, in their um, church of choice uh, as, as they are worshiping. So good topic for us to have today, uh, covenant theology right, is our topic. Um, and so I would probably say, unless we have a dad joke, which we did not have a dad joke, we should probably enter into the the show. So I'll leave it up to you, Pastor Rudot. I don't have a dad joke. I've failed. You've let us down. Yep. I did, I did notice that my dad joke from Tuesday was actually the wrong one. Um, when I was talking about with my my lovely wife outside helping me with the the uh, shoveling of the snow after the snow storm, it was love at frostbite instead of whatever it is I said. <laughs> so there still was a bad joke. All right, well let's start our show and we'll kick it into to the topic. Well, Pastor Endorf, let's hand it off to you, and you can be the guide for the circus today. Okay, so our our topic is what is covenant theology, and uh, a, a quick definition is that covenant theology is a a way of looking at scripture, a way of interpreting scripture that that focuses on covenants and finding covenant relationships in scripture or, or to say it better recognizing the the covenant relationships in scripture and how they carry out god's plan of salvation and so as, as lutherans we would we would look at, at scripture thinking law and gospel you know is, is this passage law or is this passage gospel as uh a covenant theologian would kind of look at, at scripture and think, you know, what part of God's covenant does this fit into? You know, how does this explain God's covenant? Uh, whose covenant responsibility is this? They would ask those types of questions instead of, is this law or is this gospel? So that's the kind of the short answer about what is covenant theology. And they would talk about three different 
types of covenants. The first would be the covenant of redemption from eternity. God made a covenant with himself among the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to redeem the world. Uh, Covenant of works, which is before the fall into sin, a very brief covenant with Adam and Eve, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the third covenant would be the covenant of grace. The, the promise of the Savior and, and salvation by faith. And so they would fit, uh, they would look at how different passages of Scripture or different parts of Scripture fit into those three covenants. So I, I think maybe <clears throat> for some of our listeners, we would want to say that that we, we talk about the covenant theology, we talk about how it's um, different from the way that, that typical Lutheran theology would approach we do things in law and gospel and you did that per, uh, really really well one of the things i think that people don't n- use that word covenant often and so the idea of a covenant is a is that idea of a and, and correct me if i maybe am getting it too narrow um but isn't that that idea of like that formal agreement between two parties right the idea of the when it, when most people talk about a covenant you have two parties and both parties must uphold something for for the covenant to be solidified um you know we we get that idea of cutting a deal with from this idea of cutting a covenant um or making a covenant um you know back in the the old testament times um you know part of that covenant was they would take an animal they would cut it in half they would walk then into the middle of 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 that and they would make their deal and the idea was if one broke that deal this is the result of what you would get you would be cut in half your your life would be forfeit and and i think that brings in and and again this maybe Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that brings a, a ton of weight into the conversation of covenant theology, um, that two-party formalized agreement, um, which kind of leads it off the rails. Even when they talk about the, the those first three, redemptive work and, and grace. I, I would tend to agree with you there. Um, and, and so just as we're starting off here. I I think this is one of those areas where, you know, we would want to say that there's a a difference between, you know, what is what is formally taught and and what is preached and and then what is heard in the in the pew and what people end up believing and and dealing with. And, And that's one of the the issues that we want to want to talk about and want to address because people have their own opinion of the law you know we we have that natural inclination toward work righteousness and and as as you were pointing out we we want to try to carry out our own salvation and so even though um you know in the history of covenant theology and, and a lot of covenant theologians would say the covenant of grace has responsibilities only on God, you know, the way it plays out in the pew tends to be very different. Um, Sure. But I think even in the, even in our own congregations, I think we would have um, people who would look at that and they, and, and whether I don't think from our pulpits necessarily, we preach covenant theology, we preach law and gospel theology and we say, okay, here's God's law. Here's God's gospel. The God, God's law demands 
what what must we do? And then you have the gospel that says, what has Christ done for you? <clears throat> but I, I've talked with enough members, so have you, that, that look at that and say, but I have to, which is back to that covenant, right? They, they, are, they are dealing in the idea of a formalized agreement where God will do these things and I must respond. I must do these things. I have to do these things. Um, so I don't think it's just relegated to people who, who deal in covenant theology following that line of thought of, of what our people hear sometimes isn't always what has been said. Um, and so I think there's, there's a problem on both sides. And, and so if we're going to be more, um, more precise, you know, the, you know, the difference here comes in the fact that, um, you know, when you're, you're preaching, covenant theology you have those responsibilities that both sides have you know what covenant theology tends to do is in talking about the covenant of grace you know they'll say both sides of that relationship have responsibilities and so you as a a christian as somebody in a covenant relationship with god you must do this. You must share the gospel. You must go to church. You must study his word. And they don't address the motivation, the reasons we do it. Yeah. And, and so that is then left in the hands of the, the believer, you know, the person in the pew. And, and so that's where, you know, the, our own opinion of the law, our, our own, um, uh, uh, tendency towards self-righteousness comes up. Whereas I, I would say in, in the the law and gospel approach that we use, you know, which we use for good biblical reasons, you know, we make it clear that um, you know, we must because it is going to be a natural outgrowth of faith. You know, and the necessity comes because uh, of an internal prompting. It, it comes because we want to please God. Right. And, and so we make that clear that that's why we have to. Um, but I think, I think you, I think, I, I mean, so many times within scripture um, and I don't want to get too uh, too off the rails, but I think so many times in scripture you have God equating his people to the trees to the flower or the, or the fruit bearing um, vine. And, and you, you look at that and you're like, okay, so um, God tends to us. He waters us. He, he prunes us. He, he does all that work and the tree, the vine produces, it must produce because that's what it is. <laughs> it is a fruit tree. What do fruit trees do? They produce. It's a, it is a grape vine. What do grape vines do? They produce. It, it, it's, it's a totally different idea of of saying I'm doing this because God did this. No, I'm doing this because this is what I am, and and so uh, if you are one thing, that's what you do. You know, that's does that make sense? As opposed to the the idea of because He did, I then do. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I want to say, you know, this can be an issue of. Emphasis, you know, that that when covenant theology is being emphasized and that covenant relationship is being emphasized, uh, 
you know, you have that those musts and 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 the law and the legalism being emphasized, and, and that desire to please God and that part being left out, yeah. you know. And so, what you end up with is, you know, at, at best problematic. You know, I am not saying that that happens all of the time. That 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 is. Or, or, or anything like that. But that is absolutely one of the issues of covenant theology. So can does I ask that make a, sense? It does. And 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 following that, can I ask like maybe a stupid question? Um and 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 I'll be honest, I'm not as as up on covenant theology. I know a little bit about it. You sent some really good information that I, I kind of read about. Um but <clears throat> so we're talking about those three arching areas. So the 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 redemptive, the the work, and then the, the grace. Um, the covenant grade, those are the three overarching, right? And then you have the the ones that kind of split down underneath that. Would somebody who um, falls into more heavily this idea of the covenant camp, would they would they say that God's reaction or God's I don't want to say reaction, God's action from from all eternity was reactive? That it's like, okay, um, the idea of redemption was okay. God's creating a a, a a creation that is that He knows is going to fall on purpose, and so I'm I'm going to set up all these little covenants on the way that I know that they're not going to be able to handle. You know what I'm saying? That that each is a progression, or or would they be more like what we are, which is from all eternity God planned. He knew He didn't desire it, but He knew, and so He from all eternity had a plan of yeah. of how He was going to bring us back. That, that may ask, it's a very poorly worded question. I apologize. Well, and I, th- I think it brings out a really good point because th- this is this is absolutely something where we would, I, again, be on the same page about, you know, because they would say that, you know, this comes from a, a, a very reformed background. You know, covenant theology is reformed theology. Um, and and so they would say that this is part of God's eternal plan of salvation. You know, the, the covenant of redemption is God among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the creation of the world, planning out everything um, about redemption. You know, and, and that would include all of the other covenants, the covenant God made with Noah, the covenant God made with Abraham and Moses and David, as well as the new covenant he was going to make with, um, or, or through Christ. In, and so, of communion. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, and so that's what he talked. And so that's what Jeremiah thirty-one talks about. You know, I will make a new covenant with them, and I will remember their sins and their transgressions no more. And sure. and so it's not reactive in that sense. And and so one of the good things about covenant theology is that they lay out, you know, holy history um, very well you know, as a, a way of, this is how God sent Jesus into the world. This is how God took care of his Old Testament people. This is how God um, preserved his Old Testament people and was faithful even when they were unfaithful. Sure. So I, I guess my other my other thought, and, and I know we've had this discussion, uh, Pastor Rudat, before, 
would a lot, I mean, other than the Mosaic Covenant, right? Other than the Mosaic Covenant, uh, where you have um, the law involved and you have the the holiness of God's people involved um, in that relationship, I will be your God, you will be my people. Um, would we not want to move away from using the term covenant and move and move more towards testament? I mean, it is so the the I know we like to say Abrahamic covenant because the Lord had Abraham split the 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 calf, and then um, the Lord puts him to sleep, and he he makes the promise. So that's a one sided. That's a testament, right? Um, you know, it's a different te- a different word completely. In the garden, um, we have uh, the Lord making a testament. Um, do this. Uh, if you don't do this, you will die. It's it's not. Let's say, um, you know, you follow me, I will be your God. It's it's just this is the reaction. It's a testament. This is a promise. Um, this will happen. Um, you have in the Davidic uh, promise, you have the Lord saying. I'm going to I'm going to preserve your throne and and one of your line will sit on the throne forever. David had nothing to do with that. There was nothing for him to participate in it. So wouldn't that be a testament? Um this is ultimately something where it's going to be about educating our members and helping them to understand the bigger the bigger picture of what's going on. With, um, I would tend to agree with you. Yes, with Noah and and Abraham and David, you can also point to, um, and and, and they will point to things that had happened previously to God's intervention at that point, and say, "This is why God stepped in." You know. Acts that had demonstrated, you know, their faith, that had demonstrated their obedience, that had demonstrated their relationship with God. And that that is why, you know, God then at that point steps in and 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 carries out his part of the covenant. So, and so, that so does bring it up though, then, right? That brings up one of the core problems of of this covenant theology. The covenant theology is one must act first before another can before another one does. So, so that that places <clears throat> really it takes the understanding of what faith is, it takes the understanding of what trust is and removes it from its its foundings and its moorings, which is one who is faithful and trustworthy works faith and trust in you, and then says, no, this is something you produce in yourself so that you take the first steps towards a, a this arrangement. <clears throat> At least that's what I'm seeing. Um, and, and when it... And so because... So I, I guess I would make it kind of a distinction here. If we're talking about covenant theology, when it applies to a strictly reformed person, you know, they would talk about the the total depravity of a person, that a person is entirely sinful and, and can't do anything to save themselves, and that, that their salvation is entirely up to God. You know, that they wouldn't phrase it that way. Um but we live in America where where people pick and choose 
and 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 uh, you know you, you you don't necessarily have these strict categories of theolo- theology anymore. And so in the buffet theology that we have in America, you, you absolutely have people who say who say things like that, 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 yeah, there is a covenant of grace that God has with us, you know, and that, and that God's, and this is what I would call the, you know, it's not the good part of the covenant theology or the bad part of covenant theology. It's the ugly part, you know, when it's done poorly. Um, uh, and, and so they would say, yeah, you, you've got to, make the first step you've got to be a you got to initiate the relationship you've got to demonstrate faith or you've got to have some kind of an emotional conversion experience before you get to be a part of that covenant of grace sure which means that that covenant of grace isn't for all people then and and that's the other part is uh, you know and that's the problem of reformed theology in general is they would teach that God from eternity picked some people to be saved and some people to be condemned to hell. And so the covenant of grace is a covenant of grace for some people. And and so when they talk about grace and how you know that you are saved, you know, they don't point you to the work of Christ, that he died for you, you know, they point you to your own work. Well, you know you're in this covenant relationship with God because you are acting like you're in this covenant relationship with God. And personally, I would not necessarily find that comforting because when when I wonder if I'm in a, a relationship with God, it's because I've been struggling with sin. Right. You know, I haven't been and living the a, life that I knew I should have been living. Yeah. Right. And and so I don't want to, I don't want somebody to point me to, to that, to my own acts and to my own works. I want somebody to point me to Christ and say, he died for you. He lived the perfect life. You did not live. Right. Whether you believed it or not, whether you wanted it or not, he still did, which is for everybody, too. <clears throat> I mean, you you have, you know, uh, God so loved the world, not just some within the world. He loved the world and he gave his son for all of them in the world. What are your opinions on covenant theology, Pastor Rudat? Um, I'm enjoying your conversation back and forth. I'm waiting for, you talked about the good, about uh, the covenant theology and reformed, and you talked a little bit about the ugly, and you did talk a little bit about the bad. Um, but I I am interested to hear, like, how can our listeners who are either watching this or listening, how can they identify this kind of conversation? Because like Dave was saying at the beginning, Sometimes when you are listening to a preacher, he's not going to say the word covenant, but you're going to infer that from his preaching. So that's where I'm really interested, like giving our people tools to be able to spot this. Hopefully by now they've understood the the danger of transforming a scripture, which is about Christ for us, 
and transforming that because of your covenant theology or your covenant worldview that's been impressed upon you, that now you've transformed the scriptures from Christ for you to you for Christ. This is what you're going to do. And then some other blessings, some other um, manifestations of God's grace is now going to be given to you if you do what he asks. Yeah, so um, that's a really good question. How do you recognize that that this covenant theology is is being preached from the pulpit? Um, <clears throat> I mean, in some ways you can, I would say the easiest way is when when sanctification living seems to be highlighted and 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 uh, like there's a there's the skip over the declaration of justification. Those are some bigger terms, uh, theological terms. I understand, but I guess in my my view is when when they would preach, okay, we're a dirty, rotten sinner. We have not done everything that we should. But then they highlight, but God wants us to live better, and 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 God wants us to be freed from this. And they all of a sudden start talking about sanctification living, which is the result of of what happens when we have come to faith um, and been brought to faith through through the work of the Lord. And they've they've skipped over. You are justified freely by grace. This undes- you are a dirty, rotten sinner, yeah, and you don't deserve it. Um, but God has given you everything in Christ. Here it is. That's justification preaching. And if they skip over that justification preaching and they go directly to, you are not a, a, a very good person, um, but you can be better. And and as a Christian, you can be better, right? Would Would that be a... To me, that would be a, a very soundly in this covenant type of approach. And and one of the things, I, I guess one of the sayings that I, I heard, I don't know when, um, was, you know, never put a but where God puts a, a period, you know. And, and so it's, you know, you're forgiven, but. And, and, and that's when this preaching becomes problematic is what's going on. You know, you are God's dearly loved child, but you still have to do this. You are forgiven, but you still have to act like it. But you, and so as I died for you, but yeah, we never want to make God's grace or forgiveness conditional we always want to make the the works that we do flow from the fact that we are freely and fully forgiven by sure. god's grace and and love um you're, you're also going to want to listen for um i mean they will use the word covenant a lot so that, that's usually a big tip off for for it um but you're going to want to listen for relationship words, you know, keeping up both sides of the relationship. Um, you're going to want to listen for responsibilities, requirements, um, demands. You know, that, that this is something you have to do. This is something you must do. And, and then without explaining why, you know, why would must we do it? Would you Would you say that maybe even when you leave? Um, and, and this has been my experience growing up and, and, um, um, things. And when I was in, in college, I had friends that were part of other faiths and we'd, I'd go with them, you know, and, and they'd say, well, come, I'd go home with them on a weekend or something like that. And, you know, you'd, you'd be like, okay, they're going to church. So you went and you hear some of these things. Um, 
to me, it also was a good indicator when you left and you're like, I left with more baggage than I came. <laughs> like I, I, I left not being freed from the to-do list, but I have now more on my plate that, that I felt I had to strive for. Does that make sense? And that is absolutely one of the, can be one of the problems, but. Even one of the indicators, I, I, to me, that was an indicator that, okay, I'm, I'm, and it could have been just, you know, and, and simple that you're like, okay, I didn't hear the gospel, but they said, they talked a lot about Jesus and you're like, well, they should have heard the gospel, but, but talking a lot about Jesus and actually talking and preaching Jesus to you as the sinner is a, is a drastic difference between that and covenant theology. Covenant theology is we'll talk a lot about Jesus and then your responsibility to him. And then you leave and you're like, okay, um, I heard a lot about Jesus, but I have a lot more on my plate of things that I have to match up as opposed to, I came in with a lot on my plate and I left with nothing on my plate because Christ is preached for me. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that, but, I would also say that that sometimes you you leave feeling pumped up and energized, you know, because you've been presented with this, uh, you know, pre-game speech from from a, a football game, and, and you're just jacked up to to go out there and do it, and you're like, I'm I'm going to be a great husband, and my wife is going to be amazed, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to crush it, you know. And and it feels good, you know, that Into the next day or a week from now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, there are times the law makes us feel good. You know, our, our new man rejoices in God's law. Um, and, and it should, and, and that's a good thing, but you want to pay attention to is this Christ for me? Is this what God has done for me? A am I doing these things because I love my neighbor and I love God and this helps my neighbor and this pleases God? Or am I doing this because this is how I stay a Christian? This is how I preserve my faith. This is how I preserve my relationship with God. Those kinds of things. Yeah, well, that makes me start to think, though, you know, um, and it almost makes you feel guilty because how many of us have said, you know, I, I'm doing this because it is good and God pleasing. And, and now you start to think, and, and that is, I've heard many Lutherans and very good Lutherans um, and very, very sound Christians say that I, I do these things, not because I want the thanks, not because I want accolades, but because it's good and God pleasing. And you almost could say, is that good and God pleasing? So I have to do them because otherwise you know, you could be cross. I'm not saying you are, but you could be crossing that line, right? Of, of doing those things, not because it is good for our, 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 our fellow man, which is good and God pleasing, you know, that, that I'm doing these things for them because I am equipped by the Lord who does everything for me. You see, there's, there's that switch that I am not doing these things for God. I'm doing these things for people because I'm equipped to do them by God. There is such a fine line between what you said and doing what is good because that's who you are. Like how, 
how do you how do you differentiate between those two? Because you're saying I'm doing this because that's who, that's the new person inside of me who wants to do those things. Forget about the motivation. That's that's what he's going to do because that's who he is. Um, right. And so, it 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 is very dangerous. I think we're, we're you guys are all saying it's very dangerous to to dwell in the motivation for what we're doing. And as pastors, we have to be very careful about how we phrase uh, when we're talking about sanctified living because we can inadvertently um, communicate to our people that you have to do, you know, the guilt trip is, this is, you should be doing these things. And if, if you truly are a Christian, then you should be doing A, B, or C. I think that's where reading through the, the 10 commandments in Luther's large catechism is, is nice because he, he just continually again and again keeps on on saying um you know how amazing it is to follow this commandment because we have such a treasure to be able to do something that is god pleasing and and god is pleased with you when you do this and and he just keeps repeating that that same phrase and and it kind of you know is, is a great example of this is how you preach the third use of the law. You know, it's not to get anything out of it. It's not to avoid punishment. It's just God is happy with this. And we want to make God happy because we love God. And and that's it. And 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 that's um you know, one of the ways that we still fall short, even as believers, in our motivation is that it's so easy in the the day-to-day life to to lose sight of god and we just do stuff because it's automatic or or it pops up or or you name it and we've entirely forgotten about god but we are still forgiven and he still loves us and and so this is one of those shortcomings of, of covenant theology because um it, it doesn't take into account the fact that we do continually fall short of our part of the covenant and and, yeah. and, and tear it apart. And, and God is so much more than a, a lawyer or a law keeper or, or something like that. He is our Father in heaven. He He is our, our mediator at the right hand of the Father who intercedes on our behalf. He's he's our brother and and that's what we have i i wonder i wonder if people who who rest on this covenant theology type of idea i wonder if they are um forcing a covenant where god speaks a promise and then where where god makes a testament um what rests on him and his his work they want to see our action in it and then in the places where you actually see the covenant, where where the covenant is meant to be the law, the, the, it's meant to show your failure in keeping your end of the bargain. Um, they they have the tendency to to grasp onto that and say, but we're not as much of a failure as we we could have been. Case in point, um, I believe in the garden um, when the Lord says, "Do not eat of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." That is a promise. It's a command. That carries a promise. Don't eat, you'll die. There's no covenant there. There's, there. It's not an agreement. Well, okay, let's come to an agreement. There's just a promise. Um, Noah, you have a promise. 
I am no longer going to destroy the earth by water, even though the the thoughts uh, and, and the inclinations of man's heart are evil all the time. Now I give back to you what I had created. Go and live. Promise. It's not be better. Then I won't decide to come with a flood. No, I know you're not better. I'm promising. I'm not going to. Um, Abrahamic covenant. Um, I am going to make you a blessing and, and, and I'm going to make one of your descendants a blessing for all nations. Um, but what if I don't want to be a part of that? Or what if I'm going to go and screw up? And what if I'm going to, um, you know, try to, in a legalistic way, sleep with my wife's handmaiden and we'll have a child. My promise is I'm going to do this. You're not a part of it. This is my promise. I'm going to use you to carry out this promise. Um, then you have the Davidic promise, right? Um, I want to try to mess with it. I've got it carried. I, I've got it taken care of. <laughs> My promise is that this will remain, um, even when you you mess up with Bathsheba, and then even when um, Solomon messes up. Right? Um, I have a promise, and 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 we look at those things and we say, well, those must be covenants. Well, what did David have to do? What was his covenant? What what part was he he supposed to fill in? What about Noah? He got drunk. Um, what part was he supposed to do? Um, Abraham, um, you know, he tried to convince twice uh, that people were, or that his wife was his sister, and then she was taken for someone else's wife, and the Lord had to step in. What part did he have to do? And I think sometimes we take these promises and we make them into covenants, and they're not covenants. And there was a covenant, one, and that was, I will be your God, you will be my people. How will you be my people? You will do as I say. And they said, I will, and didn't. And I think there that that especially that second example of Abraham in Egypt with Pharaoh highlights where um, where it is a testament where, where it is all one sided with God, you know. Because what does he say to Pharaoh? You've messed up. You've sinned. Now go to Abraham and and have him intercede for you because he's my he's my prophet he's he's the one in our sure. I, I love you know well and and everybody looks at that and says well why why should he go to Abraham Abraham's the one who was lying and deceitful yeah but he was forgiven right. he he was God's dearly loved child and because it is one sided because it is all coming from God because God is faithful even though we fall apart. And, and so he still could go to God in prayer. God still listened to him. And and Pharaoh was an unbeliever. And and God didn't listen to his prayers. And and so that's part of, of what they are going to miss. And and yeah, I, I would agree with you. I I think we always want to be careful and, and not talk about covenant theology or theologians as like a monolith, like they're all the, the same or or something like that, because there's a lot of a variety there, but that it is definitely an issue. And, and it's an issue of reformed theology that they want to put an emphasis on God's sovereign power, you know, that, that God is in control of, of every, every little thing, you know, from eternity. And, and while that is true um you know what what god emphasizes is his greatness is his glory is his forgiveness and his grace 
And so it's, yeah, it's the, a matter of what we point to. Yeah, and the church never, I, I guess, I'm going back to, you know, Reformation proclamation um, and Reformation preaching, but, you know, it's the, the, the statement of the early reformers was not, uh, God's covenant is the truth upon which the church stands or falls, but it was justification is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, right? Um, how are you forgiven? How are you justified before God is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Um, not what I do, not, not that the two sided parts, um, yeah, and justification is the greatest work of God and not a one step along the way until he gets to this covenant relationship. Like, we're justified, and now we can have this new relationship with God or new covenant with God. It's This is the end-all, be-all. Long gospel is the two big things of the of the Bible, not uh, parts a means to another big thing. Right. Yeah, not the secret and, and, knowledge. Yeah. And and even in, in Jeremiah 31, when it talks about the new covenant, you know, what does it mean to know God? And, and how do we know God? Because I will forgive your sins and remember your trespasses no more. You know, or, or Isaiah, when he talks about, you know, punishment, he calls that the alien work of God, you know, and, and because it's not something he wants to do. He's he's willing to do it, but it's not something he he wants to do. And, and so when we talk about who God is and what he wants to emphasize and what he tells us in his word, he wants to emphasize. It is forgiveness. It, it's not his sovereign power or his sovereign nature. It's that he re- forgives. Yeah. And, or when he talks about his glory appearing at Christmas, that's what makes him great. Christ and his incarnation. Well, so and I, what we emphasize. I had even heard, you know, even in the Mosaic covenant with the giving of the 10 commandments um, and, and you have the giving of the moral law, um, you, you know, those are, those are the 10 words, the Decalogue, those are proclamations. Um, and, and so beautifully, I guess, as I was thinking about it, what I had heard um, one pastor say is, is yes, you look at those and from our sinful nature, we recognize we can't do those things. It serves as the law uh, in the form of a mirror and a curb, but how great that those are, are, are ways that God declares over you, right? Um, that he, he says, I will view you as these things. Well, how only does he view us as these things? He views us as these things because his son has fulfilled them. You have not. And so the the Ten Commandments are really for his son. And then he declares them over you. You know, you will have no, it's not not necessarily, um, you will not is the declarative, it's, it's a declarative statement. You will not have anyone over me because I will make myself so abundantly clear here in my son. Um, you will, you will honor me. Why? Because I've changed your life here in my son, right? Um you will worship me. Why? Because I have changed and I have brought you to myself. Um, you will look at other people in these ways and you will honor them and you will respect them and you won't take from them. Why? Because I have changed the very core of who you are. Um, yes, I, I, we look at the Decalogue and we look at the Ten Commandments and we're like, these are God's law, but then but looking at it in the beautiful part of our Savior, these laws were spoken to him for him to do for us. And then in him, 
we are these things. God sees the perfect, the perfect person who's kept the law because of Christ. Less of a covenant in that nature and more of, a, again, a declaration. And, and that is certainly where it ends up. I mean, the, that is how the Hebrew does the, the strong prohibition, though, is with the, the future and the, the negation. So, but, but the, the final conclusion then is going to be that because Christ kept those in our place, you know, that's the righteousness that, that covers us. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful thing. And then the new covenant again. Um, and, and, and this is where maybe translation, um, I don't know if you were a part of that discussion of what should we use? Should we, uh, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, should we use covenant or testament? Um, this is a new testament um, in my blood, or is this a new covenant in my blood? Um, and I, I kind of prefer that idea of testament. This is one-sided. Again, God promising what he's going to give. Did you have something? Oh, I was just going to say that the dia. Fake, which is what we translate as covenant, can be either the testament or covenant, and it's used in the Septuagint for the Berith that Dave was mentioning of the of the Old Testament, where it talks about covenant. And so the question is: is is do you translate it like the Greeks did, which is testament, or do you translate it like the Hebrew did, which is covenant? And it all falls down to scripture interpreting it. Scripture context telling us: is this about uh, God, what is God doing for us, or what we are doing for God. I agree. And I, w- I would say ultimately that um, it really just requires a lot of, of educating your members and saying, you know, which, whichever word you use, it's this is just God for you. And, and, but that does bring up a, another good point about covenant theology, you know, when it comes to the sacraments you know, baptism and communion, the emphasis there is going to be, these are things that you do, you know, because you are in that relationship with God. And so you'd want to keep an an ear out for, you know, why do you go to communion? Why do you get baptized? You know, it's, it's because you're obedient, because you do what God tells you to do, because you are doing this for God. And, and, and really that obedience kind of an, an emphasis. So um, what do you think? So last, I, I guess we can maybe take a poll and, and we've already said it, you know, Lutheran theology is steeped in law and gospel preaching, um, the highlighting of justification um, and, and preaching that doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Um, is there overall, a, a, would you find a problem in bringing up covenant theology in your Bible studies um, things of that nature. What do you think? Um, I think I think that since covenant theology really is an approach to to scripture, that I would have a problem problem doing it um, and, and bringing it up. I, I think that there are are definitely good points that it, it does emphasize a relationship with God. And I, I think that, that that's a good thing. And that when it's done, done well, and, and really just brings out 
some of those things in the text, that there are a lot of blessings that, that God has brought out for the church that we can uh, appreciate. Um, but that it, as, when it comes to a, an approach of, of Scripture, because it, it glosses over, it really misunderstands the third use of the law is what it's going to come down to. Uh, it overemphasizes God's sovereign nature. It it leaves out the freedom that we have in Christ because we are forgiven. And so it's not an approach to Scripture that I'm ever going to want to want to take. Pastor Rudat, what do you think? I would uh, say the word covenant. You have to talk about that word because that word is in the Bible. But like Dave said, the the approach the philosophy behind a covenant theology, the worldview that says that the Bible is really about our, an agreement that we have with God, a relationship that we have with God that is something that we can do, turns the Bible in from a book that is about Christ for us to a book for us for God. And so f- for, that le- for that reason, you would say, I'm not going to bring up covenant theology. I'm going to talk about the way that covenant theology permeates in our society and culture, how they hear it on the radio or on, on television or on podcasts, uh, how they've um, they got pictures, memes of, you know, if America would just do this or if America would just do that, if, if we would just, you know, do the, you know, whatever the list is, if we would do this, then things would be better, that somehow God's going to open up the floodgates of blessings um, as, if, as if that is the, the whole reason why we exist as a church and as Christians is to do this heavenly to-do list so that all these good things happen to us, that we'll have the glory like it was uh, under David or under Solomon, which moves us completely away from Christ. So anything that's going to move us away from Christ for us, for one who was born under the law, uh, a law that is given to us through Old and New Testament, Jesus iterates the law, tells us, like in Matthew, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's going to say, this new commandment I give you on Maundy Thursday, love one another. He's going to do all those things, not so that it's giving us a heavenly to-do list, but to remind us what he's here to do. He is here to do the law that he is is requiring of us. And then because of that, that's his, his agreement with us is that he's going to die for us and take our sins away. And because of that, we live in him and, and we receive him uh, in his body and blood in the Lord's Supper because this, these things like baptism and the Lord's Supper, these things are things that change us from within, that change us to be a person that we weren't before, that change us to be uh, Christ. And, and so we, are, we act the way that we do, not because this is something we're doing, but Christ in us through his means is working that in us. Yeah, I, I think we I would go back to to sort of rest on uh, Saint Augustine and his words of of how the word um, the word com- the word of God commands, but then also gives us the ability to do what He commands. You know, that's that's part and parcel to that beautiful working of the long gospel, right? So, excellent. Well, thank you. Uh, where we go from now. So for those of you who are, are still with us listening or who are going to be listening um, after this has been posted and is is freely disseminated all over the Facebook and, um, and the things of that nature, um, 
we are continuing this this series of of what's the difference but we're going to be starting a, a more prolonged series uh, part of the series looking at eight different doctrines that that really are are um divisive in the church. So uh, starting on Thursday of next week, we are going to be taking a, a look at a, a study of eight different doctrines. Uh, we'll probably do one, I think we agreed, one doctrine one doctrine a Thursday and kind of work our way through that as we, we are going to soon be entering into the Lenten season here in February. And then uh, um, as we approach getting closer to the Easter season, we're going to want to kind of pull back a little bit um, just because things get busy in our churches. And and so um, this would be a good way for us to kind of prepare for our Holy Week. And then we'll be able to start something else new after the Easter celebration. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you for gathering. Thank you guys for participating in the conversation about covenant theology. Um, I think we should make a promise together that we will both and all continue to uh, to put our all into this podcast to give good things. Um, if you promise to do that, I will do the same. Um, so if if you uh, fail in your aspect, I will I will fail in mine as well. So if we can come to that agreement, um, we will cut the calf and uh, we will walk between it and shake hands. And uh, how do we cut it? Three ways. <laughs> I only do it. I only agree to it if you cut the Darth Vader mask. <laughs> in half and we all walk in between it. <laughs> Actually my Darth, Vader mask, my Darth Vader mask comes in three sections, so we could do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still entirely out. I'm <laughs> calling on God as as a witness to any oath or promise. <laughs> all right. Well thank you for joining us and have yourself a, a very blessed week. <laughs>